We'll go ahead and continue in our study in Romans. Um, I'll be surprised if we get past uh, five verses today. There's a lot to look at. Um, But we're in Romans chapter 2. If you want to turn there and then we'll start with a word of prayer. Romans chapter 2. All right, let's go ahead and go to our God in prayer. Father and Lord, we thank you for this opportunity we have to study your word. Uh, We thank you that we can um, study it and um, just treasure it for what it is, the fact that you've revealed yourself to us and that we can learn more not only about you but even about ourselves and understanding the things that um, we would be if it wasn't for you. And so, Father and Lord, we thank you for the, the salvation that we have through Christ Jesus. We thank you that we can count on that and that we can just count on your word as a, as a treasure, but also that's something that's true. And so, Lord, we, we just give you thanks for the safe travel that we had here. We pray for those who are still traveling, those who will be with us later, and just um, contain, pray your continued blessing on this local assembly. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, Romans chapter 2, we left off uh, in verse 11, and uh, if you recall, um, what we had been talking about here is, is that uh, Paul has been leading um, both Jews and Gentiles into an understanding um, that all, and when I mean all, I'm talking about Jew and Gentile, those are the two groups in which uh, God is dealing with. He's either dealt with man either as a whole or he's dealt with man through the nation of Israel. And so here Paul is is writing uh, this epistle to a a group that uh, who is in Rome that he didn't establish that church. And as the apostle, uh, he's writing this epistle to ground them in the truth. And so um, he's leading them is what he's doing in in these early chapters. He's leading them to some things that he's going to say later that are going to, he's going to get specific about. Um, and, and really the concept is that all, Jew and Gentile, all have come short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter who you are, what your past is. It doesn't matter if you've been blessed as a Jew has with, with the oracles of God or if you're a Gentile who never knew God. You cannot go to God and say, I have an excuse. And again, we've talked about this before. Many of a Christian has wondered. And I imagine if, if, if I asked the question, we would all raise our hand. Have we ever at one point or another wondered, well, what about that person who never heard about God? You know, the scenario we, we always hear, that, you know, that, that remote island of people that didn't know anything about God. Well, Paul is answering those questions here. And so it's there for us to understand. It's there for us to hopefully accept it to be the case because what Paul is saying is is that that yes the Jew had the advantage of having the oracles of God and no, the Gen, the Gentile didn't have that but that didn't give them an excuse and so that's what he's really talking about here is that all are guilty all have 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 come short of the glory of God which he's going to say that um, specifically uh here soon, but right now he's making the case and he's explaining it. And he's going to continue to explain that in these next few verses that we're going to look at today. Uh, Later, he's going to teach the differences uh, between the the different programs, meaning the program that God had uh, in times past with the nation of Israel, 
meaning that you had to come to him through the nation of Israel. He's going to describe the differences between these two different programs, what was and what is. But right now he's making the case that all are guilty. And he's doing that because in order to present the, the, the you know, what, like Romans 5 talks about, that, you know, how we can truly be justified, in order to present that, first he's got to declare everyone guilty. And so that's really what he's doing. Verses 6 through 11 here that we're going to, um, we just got done looking at uh, last week, uh, talk about God being no respecter of persons, which is what we're talking about. And in Deuteronomy 16, we looked at that last week, um, specifically says, as, as God ordained judges for the nation of Israel, he told them, you know, don't be a respecter of persons. You judge people based upon the merits of the truth. And so we would expect God to do the same thing. That's how he's going to judge. Unfortunately, um, as, as, as people... Um, found out, as Jews found out, as Paul began to minister, uh, the Jews were counting on their own righteousness. The Jews were counting on their association to Abraham to kind of be that, that ticket out of, of, the, uh, of, their, of their situation. When in fact, it wasn't Abraham that was the ticket for them. It was Jesus Christ was the ticket for them. And they were, many of them, trying to hold on to the wrong thing. We looked at last week also Deuteronomy chapter 7 as to why in the verses we read last week it says to the Jew first. Um, it was to the Jew first. The Jew did have a privileged position. And, and we looked at those situations. And, and Deuteronomy 7 specifically says, God says to them that you are a holy people unto me, you are my nation, and that you will be a special people above all other people. So that means the Jew had that special place amongst all other groups. They had that privilege. Um, and again, this is just a, a reminder of what we looked at last week because it has to do with what we're doing, talking about this week. So the Jew had privileges, but they did not have a lesser judgment. They still had to come to God under his terms. And what is God's term? Jesus Christ. You couldn't circumvent Jesus Christ to get to God. It was not going to happen. There was no way that that was going to happen. So, and, and then also we looked at the, the judgment and, and how the day of the Lord, um, we, we see that, um, that the day of wrath being mentioned there in those opening verses that we looked at and how the tribulation itself, when you go back to Daniel chapter 9, specifically allocates the, the tribulation upon the nation of Israel. They weren't going to avoid it. But who does get to avoid it? Tribulation, us. Us, that's right. Us, the body of Christ. We do get to avoid it. And so, so as we read on here, Paul is going to continue the points of, of how the judgment's going to work and that all are guilty. Uh, and he, he points to the fact that, uh, again, both Jew and Gentile are under the judgment of God. And so that's really what, what he's doing in these verses. Any any questions or comments before we move on? Does that make sense? Does it or any disagreement with any of that? Okay, good. All right. Let's pick up here in verse 12 of Romans chapter 2. Again, verse 11 says, There's no respecter of persons with God. Uh, verse 12 says, For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. 
And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. And so what we see here is, is with or without the law, because sin destroys, sin will be judged. Sin destroys, you know, when we think of, you know, relationships, it destroys the flesh, but it also sin destroys, um, destroys us spiritually. And so here what Paul is talking about is the idea, again, that somebody that doesn't have the law, they're still guilty. Um, and, and again, many people wonder, how is it that God can judge those who are ignorant? Well, that presumes that they're what? Ignorant. And, and Paul's getting ready to get into some things when it comes to conscience, the things that we, we all know and we all understand. And so the Gentile, he may not have the law, um, um, but he's going to be found guilty upon his own actions, is what this says. His own actions, he's going to be found guilty on that. And that's what this is saying. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. And so, you know, again, people, people forget that God has given us a, 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 a conscience, but we'll talk about that in a minute. But the other thing is to understand here, as this goes on to say, is just because um, the Jew had the advantage, which Romans 3, if you look at Romans 3, verse 1, Paul is going to move into that point, you know, does the Jew actually have an advantage? What advantage then has the Jew? Or what profit is there in circumcision? And that might be a realistic question for somebody who says, well, wait a minute, okay, I'm a Jew. I had the, you know, we had the, uh, we, if, we, if you say we, we, we're going to be judged the same way, then what advantage did we have? Well, Paul's going to answer that question. You did have an advantage. And he says that in verse 2, much in every way. Chiefly because that, Unto them were committed the oracles of God. And so they were given these oracles. Um, and so just because they were the ones that were given these oracles, um, that doesn't mean that the Gentile is going to be exempt from the judgment of God. We can't, no one's going to be able to go before God and say, you know, one, I deserve a special place because I'm from the seed of Abraham. Or the other person's not going to be able to say, you know, I, I deserve, you know, you know, a, a pass because, you know what, I was born in some other, some other country and, you know, I wasn't a Hebrew and I didn't get that status. Romans 2 is, again, making the case, Romans 1 and 2 is making the case that, no, all of us are guilty before God. And so, and I hope you, you understand that because, again, one of the big questions that the non-believer and really what the skeptic has is this issue. What about the person... I know them. They are a good person. You ever heard that argument? They're a good person. Boy, they give money to charity. You know, they, you know, they were a great parent. And you know what? They pay their taxes and all of that. Uh, well, yeah, that's great. They may have been a good person to you. Um, but did they sin is the question. And so here again, what we're seeing here is the idea that just because the Jew had the advantage, the Gentile may not have had that, that, that same privilege of having the oracles, but as, as Paul is getting ready to say, they had a conscience. They know right from wrong, and it's God who gave that to them. God gave that to each and every one of us. I don't care what island you were born on, you know that murder is wrong. 
I don't care what island you were born on, you know that lying and stealing is wrong, don't you? Now, when you do that, who are you sinning against? God. And God says he has declared openly to all that he exists. And so whenever you reject that truth and when you, when you sin, you, be, you are accountable to God. And so that's, that's really what he's talking about here in verse 12. Verse 13 uh, if I were you, I would, I would take note that verses 13 through 15 here is a parenthesis. And we'll talk more about that in a second. So we're going to look at this as the parentheses. Verse 13, it says, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. <laughs> and so what do you think he means by that? That's right. It, 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 there, the law is no advantage in a final sense to those who don't obey it. If you, don't, if you have the law and you don't obey it, it's not going to save you. You have to be a doer of the law. As we know from other passages, the law was there, as we will talk about in a few minutes, um, to, to teach us or to teach that, that everyone is a sinner. And this is a consistent message that Jesus preached through the Gospels. It's a consistent message that you see the 12 apostles preach. Go to James. What, is, what does James teach? Without works. What was that? Without works. That's right. Tell your faith by your works. James chapter 2. Verse 10. James chapter 2, verse 10. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet infend in one point, he is guilty of the whole thing. Right? Look at Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 19. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 19. Let's start in verse 17. Jesus here says, Think thou that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot, one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Um, and, and, and so the idea that just because you have the law somehow afforded you some sort of an exemption is, is, what, Paul is, or, yeah, is what Paul is dealing with here in Romans chapter 2. That you know, you, you, the law, law is great. It is an advantage. You, you have these things. But if you, if you don't follow it, look at Deuteronomy chapter 27. This was... Not some new revelation on Jesus' part or James's part. Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. Keep in mind, with the law came blessings, but what also came with the law? Curses. curses. I think somebody said curses. 
You remember whenever they, they passed through the two mountains as they're going into the promised land, you had some of the tribes on one mountain and you had some of the tribes on the other mountain. Those on one side were pronouncing the blessings and those on the other side were pronouncing what? Curses. Curses for what? If you didn't follow the whole law. Yeah, follow the law. Verse 26 of chapter 27 says, Cursed be he that confirms not all the words of this law to do them. And all the people shall say amen. And again, I'm not saying that any of us would have done anything different. But really, if you think about it, hindsight. You know, that, that um, what is the term they call that? Um, you know, the Monday morning quarterback kind of a thing situation. Whenever God comes with a deal and says, if you keep my law perfectly without error and you do it perfectly, you can have this, but if you mess up one time, I'm going to curse you, which is essentially what he said. That ought to scare you. And the people of Israel agreed to that situation. They made a covenant with God. Now, in that, God made provisions for whenever they failed. Uh, but that didn't all of a sudden mean that that's what God, and that's what, what, what he says whenever he's talking about, I don't love the, the blood of bulls and goats, right? It's not that you can just keep sinning and come bring, with, come bring me your, your, your sacrifices of blood and bulls and goats. It's not because I want the, the blood of bulls and goats. No, I want you to be holy as I'm holy is what he taught the nation of Israel. The law was to teach that they were going to need God's righteousness to be righteous. And so Romans 2 is confirming what, what the Old Testament has been teaching all along. And that is that the law, sure, if you can do it perfectly, guess what? But guess what? Nobody could do it perfectly except for one, right? So that's, that's, that's really what this is saying here. Um, no, Not that anyone can obey, but if they did obey the whole law, then they would be judged to be perfect. The law served to give Israel God's moral, civil, and ceremonial law. That's what the Mosaic law was about, to give the moral, civil, and ceremonial law to the people of Israel. And so if you didn't fulfill the whole thing, you were guilty of that whole thing. And those without the law, again, they don't have an excuse, as we talked about. They have a conscience written in their hearts. And that's what these next verse talks about. Verse 14, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. So here we see if a Gentile lives perfectly, doesn't have a law, but if he fulfills the law perfectly, he's going to be judged again based upon on his deeds. And so whenever you have that question, well, what about that person that doesn't know, doesn't have the law, doesn't have the gospel? God is going to judge them fairly and righteously. You know, were they a murderer? Were they a liar? Were they a thief? Were they these types of things? And if they can meet the standard of God and be holy, then guess what? They're going to be admitted. Problem is, again, nobody's going to meet that standard, are they? People say, well, wait a minute, they don't know the right from wrong. Yes, they do know the right from wrong. Every single one of us knows that those things we talked about, those things that are written in our hearts, those con- that, that thing of, called of a conscience. When man sinned in the Garden of Eden, God put cherubims to block man's entrance back into the Garden of Eden. 
because he would have had access to the to the uh, the tree of life. And he literally puts cherubims there so to prevent man from coming into it. From that point on, God allowed man to live by his conscience for a time being. He knew right from wrong. Did he choose to do right? No. Just asked Abel what Cain did. And so on and so on. And so man is going to be guilty because of his own actions. He's not going to be found guilty because God failed to do something for him. Man has failed. And so that's what here in verse 14 is talking about. When the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, having not the law or a law unto themselves. Um, the other thing I would, I would tell you is, is verse 15. Notice what it says here. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts. Notice it didn't say which shows the law written in their hearts. That's actually going to happen at some point to the Jews, isn't it? That's what the actual new covenant is. It's talked about in, in, the old, in the Old Testament prophecy, that there's a time coming in which God is going to write the law into the hearts of the Jews. Why? Because apart from him doing that, they'll never fulfill the law. And so, but here, it says here that these, talking again, the context is still these Gentiles, Still talking about them, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else accusing one another. Well, what is this talking about? Well, what is the work of the law? Was the work of the law going to be because you were going to be able to actually fulfill the law and you were going to actually be able to, um, to, to perform perfectly? So what was the actual work of the law? And to convict. It's the, the law was to make everyone guilty before God. That's what the law was. The law was there to show the Jew, you know, okay, fine, if you can do it, great. But it was there to show you can't do it. And by the law, by the work of the, the work of the law actually convicts it condemns. It makes all guilty. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 20. See, the law, it's holy, righteous, good, it's true, but the law was meant there to show, guess what, you're a sinner. Romans 3, verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So, the work of the law is to have the knowledge of sin. And so when, when the Gentile does what is right, he's actually showing the fact that he knows right from wrong. And so by doing right, it's not clearing him. It's making him more guilty because it shows just like the kid. Here's a perfect illustration. When your kid says that they don't understand right from wrong, but yet whenever you're around, they do right. But as soon as you're not there, they're doing wrong. They, you know they know the difference between right and wrong. <laughs> but that's true even of a little bitty toddler. But they only on know level. that because we've said that if you, you know, for example, if you took the baby and let it be raised by wolves, it wouldn't know that, right? I, 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 think, what we, I think what we know is, is that all of us have a conscience. Our conscience can be seared. We can sear our conscience. In other words, I can participate in sin long enough that I've blinded myself 
to that conscience that God has given me that tells me right and wrong. Again, I don't think anybody has to be taught that murder is wrong, that lying is wrong, that abuse is wrong. Uh, I don't believe that we have to be taught that. Um, And not only am I comfortable saying that, that's what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that, that God has given us that, this conscience, this thing called a conscience. And so are there going to be things that obviously you can know about the character of God and things like that? that's going to come from Scripture? Sure. You know, there's going to be the, the finer points of things you're going to learn. But knowing, knowing that, that, uh, that, you know, stealing from somebody is wrong, you know that as soon as somebody steals from you, right? Mm-hmm. Knowing that murder is wrong is, is, is easily understood as soon as somebody you love is murdered. Could, could we talk a little bit about um, the justification of that in certain circumstances? And I'm thinking of, you know, like a, a mother or a parent that steals to feed its child. Um, I can't make the case in the murder, but, uh, you know, those circumstances. I think you probably know the question and how that is justified in a person's mind, but it is still lying and cheating and stealing. Say that again. I'm not sure I understood it. Um, well, the justification in a person's mind when they... Um, oh, like rationalization? Rationalization. Yeah. But... Yeah, the justification is a bit Christianese because sure. Christ dying for us and being justified by Him. But in in a way, the person that steals for their child, okay, or um, lies in a circumstance to protect his family, for example, you know, um, etc. Whatever the example. Oh, so you mean the justifiable reasons to do certain things? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, I mean that's that. In fact, in in today in our courts. Are, are being used and uh, being allowed in some cases. Yeah, I, I think we have to realize that lying is a sin. Now, um, it doesn't matter your reason. It doesn't matter if it's because your wife says, do I look good in this dress? Or if it's because, um, you know, a husband says, you know, do these pants make me look fat? Whatever the case, a lie is a lie, okay? Now, does that mean... Um, does that mean that, uh, um, you know, I, I guess the best way I can say this is, is that we don't get to decide for God what is a sin and what's not a sin. So when we lie, it's a sin. It's wrong. Uh, do I think that, um, um, that God necessarily um, wants us to be cruel to our spouse and tell them, you know, that they, you know, ought to lose 30 pounds? Well, just to play the advocate, just to play the advocate a little longer, I wouldn't have. It's about conscience, right? And I wouldn't have a problem with lying to protect my wife, for example, mm-hmm. or if I was unable to make money. You know, the the, the, the uh, circumstances that I, I mentioned earlier about you know stealing for your child, feed your child, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I would have a problem with that. Well, and and that. The, the thing I would tell you in that situation is is that just because we don't have a problem doing it doesn't mean that it's somehow not become a sin. And that we won't have consequences. And we won't have consequences for it. Um, God said, uh, well, let me, let me give you an example. Do you think Jesus ever lied? No. But he's- right. But, but the point is, is that, yeah, I may feel like it's justified for me to, you know, 
you know, go steal that loaf of bread to go feed my family or whatever. It, but that doesn't mean that it was justified to do it in the sense of all of a sudden it became no longer wrong. Whenever we lie against somebody, it's, it, we think that we look at it in the sense that I've cheated or I've lied to them. We've got to realize that when we sin, actually we're sinning against the holy, righteous God each and every time. And again, this would be a great topic on its own right. that we can go into. But, but I, I would caution anybody, don't begin to rationalize sins because when does that ever end? You know, that's the problem. And that's why God doesn't give us this, this option. He doesn't give us this option that, that we can somehow rationalize the, <coughs> rationalize the sin or say that it's okay in this situation because, again, our governments do that. Well, I know that, you know, I'm supposed to obey that Tenth Amendment, but you know what? It's for a good cause, you know, that we do this. Um, and as soon as we start going down, and I'm not saying we won't do a sin. I'm saying as soon as we say it's no longer a sin to do it because it helped me out. No. Ourselves. Yeah. That's, uh, I was just going to add that, I mean, God even raised the bar with Jesus, yeah. with the Beatitudes and yep. what's in our heart and our intentions. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I agree. I, I was, as I said, I was just playing the ad. Sure. No, and I, and I appreciate that because that is a good question and worthy of its own, own, own study and own, own right. you know, conversation. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 to, to continue on. Did you have your hand up, Val? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, what about the midwives um, who right. lied about the baby, mm-hmm. the Hebrew baby? Sure. Um, how did God Wisely. see that? And, you know, obviously, he was working all things together for good using that situation, which he would do in our cases, too. You know, he works, he takes everything that's bad and good and kind of works it together for his glory. But um, so it was... It's just a good point in Scripture. Yeah, it is a very good point that's very relevant to this. And and the biggest thing to keep in mind is that we better be really careful trying to rationalize and say it's okay to sin. These midwives, basically, they they didn't just not kill the babies that they were commanded to. They lied about doing it. Um, And so does that mean that it's okay for us to rationalize? No. Um, But, again, that's a conversation that's a bigger one. Kathy? Question about um, the unsaved. What well, we started with this: the unsaved mm-hmm. who have a conscience, and mm-hmm. they're in the. I don't know that it's really pertinent today because I think everybody's got the internet, even in the far-flung tribes yeah. and whatnot. But say two hundred years ago, say they recognize there's God who's made this creation. Mm-hmm. They have a conscience, so they know that uh, something is a sin is wrong. Are they then like Abraham saved by faith because they haven't heard the gospel of the uh, saving knowledge of uh, the finished work of Christ? Yes. You know, all we know is what we do know. And that is, is one, that there is a God, that he's holy, that he judges righteously, and that he tells us that you can be judged by your works, which is scary, or judged by Jesus' works, which is what we want. Now, if they haven't heard this, they're going to be found guilty based upon their works. And if we want to, at that point, and this is generally whenever the skeptic says, see, there is no God. Well, it doesn't work that way. I don't know how God is going to do things behind the scenes that he doesn't tell us. I can only tell, say what he does tell us. 
And what he has told us is that, that he's going to judge based upon knowledge, based upon works, and based upon Paul's gospel, the finished work of Christ. That's how he's going to judge. And so if there is that one, which I don't even think there really is, that person that somehow deserved to be exempt from hearing the gospel because they lived, you know, so great, never heard the gospel, um, you know, I, 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 I don't think that person... Ex- I guess I'm not saying that they lived an exemplary life, or I'm saying because they had faith that there's a, a God who oh. created all of this. No, then those people would still be judged and sentenced <laughs> to hell because of, because of their actions, okay. their works. Okay, so, okay. so they're judged by their works even though they knew there was a, a God... Yep. To them, even capital G. All right. Which is what verse 6 of chapter 2 says, okay. who will render to every man according to his deeds. Tom? Oh. Uh, we, oh. have to, we have to remember also that there was twice uh, twice now that, uh, that everybody on earth knew the gospel. Adam and Eve mm-hmm. knew the gospel. It was their responsibility to pass it down. It was their children's responsibility to accept it and they chose not to accept it by the time Noah come around then when Noah and the th- and the, the eight got off the, the boat there was eight people that knew right. what God's will was and they did the same thing mm-hmm. and right now where we are today is probably uh, three-fourths of the world d- doesn't even recognize God and uh, the rest of us are not doing a very good job of helping other folks learn it even the gospel of the grace of God yep. went out to all men. Mm-hmm. You know, the kingdom gospel didn't, but Paul, there's I, there's probably yeah. a half a dozen verses that talk about yeah, it. Yeah, you're right. Colossians <laughs> 1, 6, and 23, Romans 16, 25, and 26. There's several. And so the gospel of the grace of God went to all the earth. And like to your point, people don't then share it with the next generation or they reject it, and then people become a lost generation seeing it here in America. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think we also need to recognize too that God is just. So what the question back there is, you know, what what does God do? He's a just God. And Which was why that was my first point. Yeah. yeah. So, so or my second point, yeah. yeah. So yeah, we, we we trust that God is and we trust that he's righteous and he's just. And so um, um, when it comes to that is there that one in a million person? I don't believe that there is, but I trust that if there was God can just Judge justly. So, getting back to Wendy's point though about children and infants, do they really have a conscience that says I'm being selfish when I'm behaving how I am? And the whole age of accountability, where mm-hmm. at a certain point, and obviously God knows that point in each person's life when they can realize um, that there is a God. Um, but that's another aspect of this too. Sure. Yeah, because again, we wouldn't expect an infant. You know, to be able to be judged based on its works, it doesn't have the the thought processes available to be able to do that, um, and and so we do we do see the age of accountability thing. But um, again, that's for you know how that works. God's going to be able to, to judge that. He's declared openly here that when it comes to His judgment, it's going to be based on our deeds. And again, where Paul is leading to is that He's going to be judging based upon His gospel. Paul's gospel. Keep in mind, as we know from Scripture, there hasn't 
It's not like there was always just one gospel. You had the gospel that was given to Abraham. You had the gospel that was given through Jesus' earthly ministry, the gospel of the kingdom. And Paul is going to say here shortly that he's going to judge by my gospel, his gospel. So go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Did anybody else have a comment before I moved on? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. Here we see this ministration of condemnation. What do, you, what do you think the ministration of condemnation is? It's the Mosaic Law. That's what the Mosaic Law was. For the ministration, if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more does the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. And so the law was actually a ministration of condemnation. It was there, and it was there to show and make all guilty before God. And so whenever Paul is talking here back in Romans chapter 2, whenever he says that these, these people who have a conscience and they do right, even though they don't have the law, it, it's, it's like a work of the law onto them because they show that they have a knowledge of good versus evil, of right versus wrong. And so that actually isn't saying the idea that, look, some are going to be justified because they've done good without the law. No, it's saying that those are going to be found guilty without the law, which is what he had just got done saying in the verse, of, verse above that, those verses above that, that all are going to be um, found guilty. Verse 12, for as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. And again, now we're into this parentheses here. Which show, verse 15, which show the work of the law. What's that? Back in Romans? Yeah. Which show the work of the law unto, written in their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness. And their thoughts demean while accusing or else excusing one another. And so here again, what we're seeing is this idea that the Gentiles, they have, they may not have the, um, the law, they may not have been given the law, but... There is a, there's a different thing that's written in their hearts that God gave mankind. And I believe all of us have that. Again, I'm not suggesting that a small infant child that's three days old has that. I'm not suggesting even somebody who has born with certain diseases. We've seen, we see adult-aged people with, who were born with brain diseases, and I can't even think of the different names of the diseases now, that have no concept I don't believe our God is going to judge them the same way he's going to judge us. And so what we see here is, again, is that um, the Gentiles who didn't have it, they knew, even without the law, uh, that murder, theft, lying, stealing, all of these things are wrong. They know it, and they're guilty. And so verses 13 through 15 here is a parenthesis. A parenthesis that now, if you, if you don't read verses 13 through 15... Let's read verse 12 and verse 16. Verse 12, For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. You see how that fits together? God inserted a parenthesis here to give you more details about what these two verses here are talking about. And so you have that though everyone is basically guilty. And verse 16 is, is where we see that there are three important facts in this verse. 
So even separate from verse 12, just in this verse here, we have three important facts. Let's read it again. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So we see, one, that God is going to judge the secrets of men, right? It's not just what's done in the open. The things that are done in secret, God is going to judge. So we see that is one of the points that we need to make sure that we understand. We also understand that that judge is Jesus. That verse tells us this, amongst other verses, that Jesus is that judge. Look at Acts chapter 17. It's not the... It's not new here in Romans. Look at Acts chapter 17, verse 31. Here Paul is trying to convince some Gentiles here. Acts 17, 31, it says, Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness, how? By that man whom he has ordained, whereof he has given assurance unto all men that he has raised him from the dead. So Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the standard. He is the means in which all judgment is going to take place. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. And these are just some of the verses that confirm this. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 1, 2 Timothy 4, 1 says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So who's going to be the judge? Jesus. Jesus is the judge. Look at verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that also love his appearing, which is going to be us as well. And so God has has put all things underneath Jesus Christ. He is the judge. And so again, so we see first that in that verse 16 that God's going to judge the secrets of men. He's going to judge based upon Jesus and Jesus will be the judge. And the last thing that we see in there, it's going to be according to what? Notice what it says. My gospel. Not even the gospel. It's my gospel. Do you think God like made a mistake when he chose that word? No. He doesn't make mistakes when he chooses this word. And he's going to judge the world by his gospel. Look at Romans 3.21. He's going to judge. He's going to judge all those from the time God started this day of grace He's going to judge all those until the rapture. He's going to judge all those based upon that, that, that message that he gave the Apostle Paul to go out to the world with. Romans chapter 3. Did somebody have a question? I thought I heard somebody. No. Romans 3.21, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Notice those two words there. But now. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, there is no difference. Well, there was a time when there was a difference between Jew and Gentile, wasn't there? Which we'll be talking about that a little bit later. But look at um, uh, chapter 4, verse 5 of Romans. Romans 4, 5. 
but to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Is that is that what you want to be judged on? That's what I want. I give you a hint. That's that's what you want. You know that there are those that aren't going to be judged that way, right? There are those that that didn't live in this day of grace that aren't going to be judged according to that. Yeah. feels it's wrong that we would look forward to that and do good just for the reward. And I didn't know how to answer that. You know, there there's a, a new belief system that's going around out there, and I, and I, I find it concerning, and that is even on the judgment seat of Christ. Um, and, and that is the idea that, um, you know, the judgment seat of Christ, where we get judged for rewards and, and such based, based upon the things that we've done in this body, um, it's somehow wrong that we are going to be rewarded um, for the things that we do. Um, we should want to honor God in our lives. Um, but if, if, if you think for a moment that we're also not going to feel ecstatic or whatever word you want to use, that when we get there, that he also at the same time wants to give us more than just salvation, but he wants to give us um, um, the, the, even more. Uh, and so I don't find it to be wrong in, in any part. And should we, should we work so that we receive? No. And, and if that is the mindset of somebody, then they are doing it for the wrong reason. But hopefully as a true Christian who understands they've been bought and paid for, they're not doing it for that. They're doing it because I was bought and paid for. Um, it just sounds like a variation of works-based uh, you know, premise about, about religion. Mm-hmm. We get to do that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an indication. It's a, like, as you said, it's a, a show of our love and appreciation. Sure, we've been created unto good works. We don't do good works for for those things. Um, that doesn't mean that you're not going to take joy in the fact that you get those things. You know, it's Jesus and us that can do that. We're not even doing the good works. <laughs> Just to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace toward us. But the verse you just said then, too, that we're going to be judged through Jesus Christ, not through us in a way, too, and what our works was. It's all in his works, not our works. Yeah. Now, that's where, as that crowds and stuff, I mean, we're going to be judged through him. We're going to be judged for salvation for that, but there is going to be a judgment based upon us as Christians. That's the judgment seat of Christ. And so there is that. Now, how that all works, the Bible's vague. But Paul says that we must all. I think that pretty much includes all of us. And he goes to give an account of the deeds done in this body. And so um, our salvation is, is, is going to be based upon Christ and his work. But there is, there is going to be rewards to us. And, and that's what this verse is that we're talking about in Ephesians chapter 2, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace toward us. And, and so we're going to get there, and I think we're going to be in awe of not only the fact that, that we've been saved and the things that we've give, been given in that sense, but also that he has, he has planned something so much more remarkable than we could ever conceive and imagine. Um, and so couple of other points here before before we hit the button to stop. 
Ephesians chapter 6, if you're taking notes, you can go there. I'm not going to read it, Ephesians 6.19. Paul specifically talks about the gospel being a mystery. And the reason I'm pointing this out is because when Paul says that he's going to judge based upon my gospel, you need to understand that in in, in Luke 8 and uh, Luke 9 and Luke 18, that wasn't the gospel. The gospel that we preach today wasn't the gospel that they preached back then. It was a gospel. It was a good gospel. It's a gospel that will be preached in the future. It is, it is valid. It's just not valid today. It will be valid in, in another time. That was the gospel of the kingdom. But look at Ephesians chapter 2, which huh, we were just talking about. Ephesians chapter 2. And I, we are going to go a couple minutes long because there are a couple points we just have to make. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by what are you saved? That doesn't say the law? Okay. For by grace are you saved through what? And that not of yourselves, it's a what? Not of works, lest any man should boast. Right? And there verse 10 is kind of what, what we were talking about, Derek was talking about. And so we understand that we are saved by grace, that it's through faith, and it's without works. Now, Go to James. And you will hear people. And I'm sure you have likely been told something that tries to explain away the, dif- the differences between what we just read in Ephesians and what James says. You don't have to try to explain away the differences. It's a very obvious answer. James was, a, was an apostle to the twelve. Paul is an apostle to the Gentiles. Right now, guess what? There is no Jew and Gentile. You don't need an apostle to the twelve. Which, by the way, James chapter 1, verse 1 says, James, a servant of God, under the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Which of the tribes are you? None. Okay, so we're clear on that. James chapter 2, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and has not works? Can faith save him? Can faith save you? We just read it. Sure can. Now, so here's the context. Can faith save him without works? That's his context. Verse 24. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. People want to twist this all around to make it fit together because they don't rightly divide the scriptures. They want to make say, oh, the context isn't salvation. What do you mean? Justification. Justification is salvation. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1, and then we'll round it off there. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. We aren't justified by works. And so you see where Paul is going with all of this stuff. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, does it say being justified by works? Therefore, being justified by faith. We have peace with God. And so this is why Paul can say that they're going to, that God is going to be judging by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. And so that's what he's talking about there in verse 16. Any questions on any of that? Comments?